0: Hello, everybody. We are here with NSA Witherspoon and Polly Hoppen. I'm excited to have them here this year. They were here last year. They do critical work in preventing cancer for children. And we'd like to hear an update on what you're both doing. And why don't we start with Polly, if that's okay.
1: Good morning, everyone. Bill, just a hats off to you for another amazing organizing effort of this event. Um, in addition to all the other things that you do with Less Cancer, we really appreciate um, the work that you do and this opportunity to share our very aligned work. Um, so so appreciation to you and, and all the many volunteers that you work with. Um, my name's Polly Hoppen. I'm a research professor at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell, a professor of public health with a focus on environment, And I work with colleagues who have training in environmental health sciences, public health, but also chemical engineering. Um, We have a sister organization, the Toxic Use Reduction Institute, that works very closely with businesses to help them figure out how to reduce their use of environmental chemicals that are hazardous to human health. So we kind of go from the problem side, understanding um, the science that demonstrates links between environmental exposures and cancer Um, along with other chronic diseases, all the way to the solution side, including technical solutions as well as policy. So we've been involved in a number of efforts over the years to um, identify strategic collaborations between different kinds of organizations that by working together, uh, those organizations can catalyze substantial change. And we have several efforts right now in the cancer arena. And I spoke to this conference last year about the issue of breast cancer and environment in particular. Um, But the theme there and the theme that we'll lift up today really is that in order to catalyze change in a system that remains stuck in the production of chemicals that we know are hazardous to human health, the widespread exposure um, to people, including vulnerable people like children, like the elderly, like people who already have cancer, uh, wide exposure, Um, to them, and then a healthcare system that needs to pay for um, the care of those folks when they get sick. But if we're going to disrupt that system, um, we need to bring together all of the players in that system and identify uh, the contributions that they make to both the problem and the solution and work forward together. So the work we'll be talking about most today, I think, involves uh, that kind of a strategic systems approach for the issue of cancer with a focus on the environment um, through the cancer free economy network. And that's a seven year old initiative now um, to focus on environmental contributors um, working with over 50 active organizations. And we have um, lots of activities and a number of updates that we can share with you um, over the course of this um, conversation. Mm -hmm. That's me.
0: Um, and that's I- great. Well, listen, you you are a lot, and we're so grateful for your important work in pulling people together, um, not just educating and telling stories because you're both both of you are terrific storytellers. And that's how people learn. And it's how adults learn. and And you are reaching um, you know, important demographics and bridging critical gaps. We are so grateful for you. Before, I want to hear some updates from you, Polly, but I want to know how you came about with the name Cancer-Free Economy. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure, Um, that really was a name that was conceived around a a work table where we were all uh, brainstorming what it was that we really needed to focus on um, if we were to get this system unstuck. And um we recognize that as the economy and the assumption that in order for the economy to thrive, that we need to continue to rely on hazardous materials and this sense that people have that there are trade-offs between jobs and environment and between economic health more broadly um, and environment. And we wanted to to send a signal to say um actually there are not trade-offs there, not that it's easy, but we we can. Uh, Prioritize people's jobs um, and a thriving economy along with um, people's health. And that, in fact, people's health is fundamental to an economy thriving. So, we wanted to have the word economy in there to to highlight that um, and to include organizations, um, uh, networks of businesses that are working on safer alternatives, um, organizations that uh, drive consumer demand. Um, which also focuses on an element of the economy. We wanted to be sure that those partners were at the table um, in addition to the partners that are often at a cancer prevention table.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, It resonates with me personally because I think people don't really, you know, for years and years and years, years, I think I'm much older than both of you, but for years we have heard about the individual patient beating cancer. That's been the, you know, we've turned cancer patients into athletes. And we have we have learned um, from that experience that the story is much bigger, that families are exploding in taking care of cancer patients, that there aren't the resources, that it is, it isn't just the chemotherapy, it isn't just the treatment or the surgery, all of which are critical. But there are all these other pieces that come with it that people lose sight of, like. Who's paying the bills? How are they getting groceries? Who's driving the kids to carpool? Who are handling some of these issues that now are really social justice issues? That they've become part of a optimistic demographic story that says less people are dying from cancer. Well, wait a minute. There's a whole other group of people that are getting cancer, and never before in the history of time have we had more cancer. Never. So you know, I think when Richard Nixon came out with his war on cancer, I was like in fifth grade, maybe. So now, countless billions of dollars more are spent. and um it's been it's been pretty cataclysmic. So um, I wanted to get some updates. I, I appreciate you exploring this area of the economy because it's really, it's not a story that's told often, and, and if we can lift that up so people really understand it, uh, I'd like to see that happen. So um, can you give me, Polly, some key updates that happened this year, things that you've been involved with that you might want to share with our audience?
1: Sure. And uh, maybe I'll start out with the science side, and then um, say can shift into some of the programmatic work. Um, But we just completed a review of the scientific literature on cancer environment um, this year. And and we've been involved over the years in um, convening a number of discussions among cancer researchers about um, the need to prioritize cancer environment. And there was a, a very significant meeting a couple of years ago that we were involved in helping to organize along with a number of other partners that the American Association of Cancer Research organized. And it was the first ever standalone meeting on environmental carcinogenesis. And then importantly, it had uh, colon uh, pathways to prevention. So the idea was understanding um, environmental contributors, but also then um, identifying ways to reduce those exposures as part of a cancer prevention agenda. So that was exciting. Um, and one of the themes of that meeting was that the literature on these connections just grows every year. And so we just completed a review of 2021, um, the scientific literature on cancer and environment. And there were at least 115 studies that were published in the peer review literature. Um, And overall, they um, just continue to strengthen the case for um, the importance of these connections and the opportunity that there is for um, reducing those environmental carcinogenic exposures. As a contribution to cancer prevention. Among those 114, just to give you a sense, um, there were about 25 on air pollution in particular. Um, You know, air pollution and its contribution to multiple kinds of cancer, but then also specific cancers. So I spoke to your um, group last year on breast cancer. There were six studies on air pollution and breast cancer, Um, nine on lung, some on ovarian, pancreatic, thyroid, prostate, leukemia all um, related to air pollution um, in some way. For childhood cancer, there were eight studies that we identified in 2021 alone. Um, A number of those were on pesticides. The proximity of a residence to an agricultural field increases the risk of a child's cancer. Um, The use of home and garden pesticides um, increases the risk of childhood leukemia. Um, it was an air pollution study really Can significant? Can I
0: just market. ask you one quick question about the pesticides, yeah. if that's okay? Mm-hmm. Not because sure. you have so many good anecdotes and stories here. One of our first projects here was trying to get a, a handle on pesticide drift reduction around health affected communities like schools in mm-hmm. the state of Virginia. Um, with the onset of local farming and the interest in different agricultural programs like vineyards, those kinds of things. They were all great. You know, we, we all love local food, but some of these people were putting things in next to schools and nobody, it was just like an unthought of risk at the time. Like yeah. we don't have anything against wine or ice. certainly don't. But they have, you, you know, there is a place for everything. And I think, you know, we're hearing a lot about PFAS now, which is just as critical. But we're it's it has really put issues like pesticides that we see every day that are in our neighborhood, that we're using in our local farms, our local gardens. And we've lost sight a little bit of, you know, we just have lost focus on that because there have been some other things that have come to the forefront, including COVID. But, um, you know, that's a really critical issue. And I love that you are exploring that, because I think there's been a bit of a pause in that interest. And, you know, we, with everything that's going on now, we've never had more pesticide exposures. And I think it's a really important focus. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to, Mention
1: that, Yeah. So, Bill, you're, you're zeroing in on pesticides is, is really um, significant in terms of the um, strength of the literature on that topic. And we took a look for this Childhood Cancer Prevention Initiative in it and say we'll describe a little bit more because it's been a, a really important focus for the Cancer Free Economy Network and other partners um, in a minute. But our conclusion in looking at the science on childhood cancer was that pesticides is one of three major uh, risk factors of concern um, that have to do with the environment. And um, that means studies that have shown direct associations for kids in particular with pesticide exposure. And the 2021 studies um, only strengthen that connection. Um, the other thing about pesticides is that there really are alternatives. You know, as you know, it's well demonstrated that we can grow food we can control um, weeds we can um, do the things that we need to do without depending on pesticides that contribute to cancer again doesn't mean it's going to be easy um, but we knew it's possible other examples are you know in municipal s- situations where um, cities have banned pesticide use on uh, playgrounds or parks you know that's really a movement that's taking off across the country um so really good area of focus and thanks for Emphasizing that and bringing it up, I can continue with just a a couple more comments about the um, the science. But you know, if you'd like me to, but but you know, in some there there has been really an important um, step forward in twenty twenty one with the research literature. Um, I'll just mention maybe one other category, and that is endocrine disruptors, um, which people I think have heard a lot about, which are chemicals that um, behave like hormones in the body that mimic um, hormone function in the body, and therefore can disrupt it. And oftentimes we haven't thought of chemicals that are classified as endocrine disruptors as being carcinogenic. They're often not so-called complete carcinogens, but we're learning um, that they are contributing to the development of cancer. They're setting the body up for the development of cancer. So in this review of 2021 literature that we did, um, we have a category on endocrine disruptors for that reason, and there are at least 13 studies that um, looked at the issue of the contribution of endocrine disruptors to um, cancers. And you mentioned PFAS. There are about 10 studies on PFAS and cancer. That's, as you suggested, a, a really exploding field. So I'll stop on the science side. There's, there's lots of other developments of um, programmatic activity that we've been involved in that um, we'd love to tell you a bit about and um, I can hand it to Ensei to to start with that.
0: Can I just make one quick comment here on the pesticide issues just to wrap this up? When people are listening, uh, you know, it isn't, I always want to be clear that we're concerned about everybody's health and including farmer's health. And some of these pesticides are, you know, they've taken on the natural landscape of our lives. And so we don't really even see them. And so in our work to do these things, we're really interested in protecting everybody. And I know from my experiences early on, people um, misconstrued that to think, oh, it was like farmer against, you know, consumer, and that wasn't the case at all. We found lots of farmers that didn't really understand what they were using or doing or where, and by no fault of them. But, you know, it's 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 people like you that we're so grateful for that are clearing these stories up. And I just wanted to point this out. This is for everyone's health, and um, I really appreciate your work. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks, Bill.
0: And say, Hello, love seeing you again.
2: It's really good to be here, and I want to share my sentiments uh, with my friend Polly here. Uh, your your platform and all the many many years of work of Blessed Cancer and this fantastic event are vital, I think, uh, to continuing to like you said, get not only get the word out, but to also mobilize all of the listeners who, in their own spheres of influence, can truly make a difference. We do know that many voices together over the time, you know, there's a precedence of this can truly uh, create the tipping point that we so desperately need in all communities and especially our most highest risk. So thank you again for this uh, very nice invitation to join you today.
0: Well, we're grateful for your work because we know for anything to move this in a real way beyond moving the needle, we need people like both yourself and Polly to continue leading the charge in a way that's going to bring more and more people into the fold to help Fight this wicked, wicked disease. So, thank you very much. Of course.
2: Uh, and for some of my background, my, my trainings in uh, maternal and child health, public health, and I kind of stumbled into the environmental health arena. I'm so pleased that I did. Uh, and I've been with this wonderful nonprofit, the Children's Environmental Health Network, for over almost 22 years now. And we are celebrating 30 years as an organization in 2022. Uh, it's bittersweet, right? Because, Bill, as you were just saying, I mean, hopefully we wouldn't be in a society that would need a big national nonprofit like ourselves to at least be one of many voices for children who at many times don't have their own voice and the families and the communities that are protecting them and trying to protect them and serve um, and nurture them into their fullest potential. And yet here we are. Uh, I think our need is is even more than ever. And we have a very interesting opportunity of a window of opportunity in history here with a lot of stars aligning. So again, it's extremely exciting to see the potential and opportunity. I think we all want to take full, full, full reign of this. And when it comes to truly turning course on this paradigm of cancer, uh, we as a nonprofit focus on protecting children in all places where they spend time. Uh, and in particular, we're very uh, much focused in on their first environment, mom's womb, uh, which we do know, unfortunately, children are born free, polluted. There's lots of peer-reviewed evidence to show that, sadly. So most, if not all of our children are starting off uh, in the negative, if you will, when it comes to their health and well-being, unbeknownst to nothing that they have done. Uh, and uh, at times we do know in the cancer arena, we are uh, taught a lot about lifestyle changes that we individually can and should be doing. And while that may be true, it still does not speak to the increasing amount of incidence of cancer uh, that we are seeing and in particular among our childhood population, which is extremely Alarming. Uh, we work and provide leadership in spaces uh, that are major routes of exposure, like water. We're part of the Clean Water for All. We're a leader in the uh, Healthy Air Partners movement, you know, air pollution, as Polly just mentioned, is a huge catalyst and route of exposure for all populations and especially vulnerable populations. And certainly the cancer prevention arena. There is a whole other side to this that we do not necessarily uh, hear acknowledgement about when it comes to where the money is going in the cancer prevent- cancer space, I should say. Um, predominantly, well, vast, best predominant amount of money is spent on research and treatment, which we all appreciate and have great value in. And we know that we need to balance out significantly the amount of attention and capacity and funding that goes to preventing those Uh, exposure routes, which have been, again, and continue to be uh, uh, exposed and and, and, um, lean on in our peer-reviewed literature for ways that we as society can do much, much better to protect all of us, especially our most vulnerable. Um, If I could, I'd like to talk about the Childhood Cancer Prevention Initiative real uh, briefly here, Mm -hmm. that the Cancer-Free Economy Network, in addition to a variety of other partners, has been at the table of. Um, Last year, in 2020, we launched The Childhood Cancer Prevention Initiative with key organizations in the childhood cancer prevention arena, like PrEP for Gold, in the sustainable business partners arena, such as American Sustainable Business Network, and with health professionals, public health organizations, such as Children's Environmental Health Network, faith-based groups like Green the Church, and research institutions like University of Massachusetts at Lowell. And we've come together in a very unique way to create an awareness of the connection of environmental exposure routes within the diagnosis of some forms of childhood cancer. So with the re-release of this groundbreaking report uh, that that we did release last year, which happened in this past fall, we continue to identify key actions to advance solutions that can and will protect our children. And we we have evidence of this in communities all over the country. This report, which was unique because it provides a review of available science that identifies trends in in environmental chemicals related to the incidence of cancers. So we know that since the year I've been born, 1975, childhood cancers have increased steadily on an annual basis and are now the leading cause of death for children past infancy. We know that most common are our central brain, nervous system and central nervous system and lymphomas among the childhood population. And there is an equity reality here because for example, leukemia is much more predominant in Latinx uh, children. So the science cases made in this report, uh, again, as Polly mentioned, reviewing the available research and opportunities for prevention, as well as a business economic case and policy cases are also made. So on the pesticide discussion, There's pesticides, vehicle air uh, related pollutants, paints and solvents identified as primary exposure pathways towards certain forms of childhood cancer. So our urgent agenda addresses those areas and really provides a narrowing priority focus on those areas that we can and should be leaning on to reduce those exposure pathways. So this year we lost the pesticides initiative within the Childhood Cancer Prevention Initiative, where we have conducted listening sessions with national and state pesticide advocate leading organizations. We've gathered a variety of information on their theory of change and identified areas where the Childhood Cancer Prevention Initiative could be most useful to their work and allowing them to take the lead in these arenas that many of them have been working in for decades. One of those areas is in support of Protect America's Children from Toxic Pesticides Act. This act was just reintroduced by Senator Booker in New Jersey um, in November, right before Thanksgiving. So when passed, this will remove the use of pesticides from our farming system and not to mention a variety of other ways that pesticides are used to really diminish our dependency on this. We're also calling for the need to have a childhood cancer prevention research agenda, which we do not have. The National Cancer Institute could be, should be leading this charge, along with a host of government agencies whose missions will only benefit by less children and families having to deal with the physical, mental, and economic realities of cancer uh, diagnosis.
0: You're doing amazing work, that's for sure. Um, You know, when we talk about these issues, we, some of us lose sight of where where and how to address this, because there is so much information. And we know simply, way simply put, we know that often zip codes have a lot to do with where people live, do they have health care, is there access, are they living downstream? And then there are those that think we're good to go, We're we're in a great neighborhood, there is no factory in sight, but they may themselves maybe having a small home garden that isn't, Really safe, that they may be using things in their home that aren't really safe. So, there are, you know, this touches everybody. And the work that both you and Polly are doing is so critical in making sure it touches all lives. That, you know, we always say it's less cancer for all, not less cancer for some. And for some of us, it's harder to really understand um, the lives and lifestyles of of people, some of which are, are modifiable and many others that are not, which is why we need policy, which is why we need education, and w- which is why you two are here today because you're both great educators and we appreciate your work. Is there anything that I'm not asking that you would like to share, either of you, um, Polly or and say? is there anything that you'd like to update us on?
1: Sure, i'll I'll start. Um, one thing I'd love to encourage people listening to consider is um, becoming involved in the process that happens in almost every state, which is to develop a state plan for cancer prevention and control. And that usually happens every five years, and um, it is funded by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which provides the funding for the state government to have a cancer prevention and control program. And these coalitions are multifaceted. They have a lot of advocacy groups, cancer advocacy groups, um, some clinicians typically. Oftentimes, though, they don't have people who are concerned about um, or have lived experience with or scientific knowledge of um, environmental chemicals and pollutants. So the CDC this year, in partnership with the National Association of Chronic Disease Directors, um, has launched uh, an effort to educate state cancer prevention control people about environmental chemicals and pollutants. And um, a number of us that are partners in the Cancer-Free Economy Network are helping them to do that. Um, So there was a a webinar that was um, launched, webinar series in October, um, that was sort of the basics of Cancer and Environment 101 and some key concepts. And then coming up in the beginning of 2022, there'll be another one on evidence-informed interventions of of what can state cancer programs do to actually uh, reduce these exposures. But the coalitions that I talked about are the advisory bodies for those state cancer programs. So um, we in the Cancer-Free Economy Network are going to be encouraging and supporting people with environmental health expertise to begin participating in these in several different states, um, at least in Iowa and California and Pennsylvania. And um, people who may be listening to this, um, we, we'd we love to support you, encourage you to start attending um, your state cancer coalition meetings. Um, so that's that's one thought. And then another is um, we are working with as a first step. Uh, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston is hosting a series on environmental chemicals, pollutants and cancer. And that's going to be three sessions um, starting in February, as we all know, Cancer Prevention Month. Um, two sessions: one February third, another February sixteenth, and then a third one on March one. And right.
0: that's National Cancer Prevention Day is on February fourth. Yeah, and which this um, probably will be running on on February fourth. It's course. three days this year, so we great. Like and run. I
1: know, Bill, hats off to you for your leadership in getting that day established. Oh. I know that that was a huge amount of effort, and it's become a real organizing opportunity galvanizing, you know, day for people to um, showcase all the really good work that's going on. So
0: it is a working day, right? It's also World Cancer Day. And I think the the first sponsor that might have been a chemical company. So I was I, um, you know, am interested to see this work that you guys are doing. It's super critical. I did want to ask you, what is a guy like me, a C student guy like me supposed to do to lower the risk in my own home? Do either of you have tips that you could share with me today and our audience about things that we might do in our home?
2: Sure, thank you, Bill. And I think we're all, it doesn't matter you know, where we live, like you said, zip code, our, our sense of training, we're all in the same predicament. I'm that same mother, uh, you know, citizen who goes into the laundry aisle of the grocery store and I'm just as overwhelmed. Uh, so first things first, take some time for your own health, just as we might read labels of certain packages of food that we may decide to prepare or or bring home to our families. Take the time to do that so you can find some lines of products that you feel comfortable with. Uh, Ask the type of questions that you have the right and deserve to be answered. Uh, Many times, unfortunately, a product like a household cleaner may send you to a website in this day and age. And sadly, that's a whole nother realm of advocacy labeling and how it's not empowering.
0: justice because not everybody has access to the internet. Go that's ahead.
2: right. No, that's right. And it, sadly, I mean, my humble opinion is that, that it, that's a way to kind of push us all down the line of just, oh, I'm just going to buy this and hope it works out. No, that's not OK. We all have hard earned money. Uh, we are the drivers of this economy is what I would encourage us to do. And what we have seen in the past is that when there is a boycott of sorts or a huge reduction of people no longer saying enough, I'm not going to purchase this anymore, I'm going to purchase this. Well, then you have the groundswell of the change of the, the pendulum swing there and that's supply and demand comes into account. Uh, So, read those labels, ask questions. Groups like us would be happy. There's many of us out here who would be happy to take your email, take your call, uh, you know, and and help you walk through some of that. Uh, But thankfully, we are living in an age where even at the, you know, different range of different uh, stores that one may shop at, uh, there are options. There are organic options. There are Chemical free options. Just be aware of the labeling. Just because it says toxic free does not mean anything. There's no regulatory body that looks at whether something is toxic free. So there are I'm people. Yeah, yeah, there are sadly companies who are taking full advantage of this growing interest and in demand in uh, better educating ourselves on chemical risk. Uh, so just look at those. If you see a, a huge list of of uh, names that are very complicated and you can't even say them, odds are <laughs> they're probably full of a lot of things that are not meant to be in our you know, airways and in our homes, try to go for things that are much more basic, elemental. And then there are groups like us who also put together formulas for basic cleaning where you don't even have to rely on a third-party cleaner. You can kind of pull together your own basic cleaning agents, which will do the same thing. So thankfully, there are a lot of options out here for us. It does take time to kind of find that line that you like or line that you're comfortable with or products that you know are more comfortable and aren't going to cause other irritation to your families or allergies. But when you find them, I think you will have great comfort in knowing that you are making some better decisions for yourself. But Polly, you may have other thoughts.
1: I think you've covered it really well. I think there, there is, um, there is I think, as you alluded to, an equity issue in terms of um, higher costs sometimes of these kinds of alternatives. So that's something that um, is, is really important to be aware of. And um, so in addition to making your own choices, advocacy um, on behalf of some of these safer alternatives and with a focus on um, the the special circumstances of someone who, you know, is facing eviction and how can they be expected to, you know, pay more for um, a safer alternative when they can't even pay their rent. And I think COVID has just illuminated these disparities in people's lived experience um, and the lives that they are um, doing their best to to live. Um, So we're very aware of that in the Cancer Free Economy Network and um, doing a number of things um, to center equity in the work that we do. Um, One of which is um, an emerging leaders cohort. So we have a cadre of mentors and mentees and the mentees are largely um, young people of color who um, have and interest and a lot of lived experience and um, often academic training and other skills to bring to uh, their development as young leaders. And so we're hoping to see more and more black, indigenous, other people of color in leadership positions of um, organizations from from small to large um, in this arena of environment and, and chronic disease. Um so and I know those are concerns that you share as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. And yeah. I always love talking about these issues because I'm hoping, you know, there is a there's something that will resonate with with somebody. I you know, for me when we talk about stores, I'm so distracted. I often even find myself in the shampoo aisle looking at stuff, like you know, I'm the last person that needs that. But it is, it is um I find that when I Before I go into a store, if I'm really organized with my thoughts and ideas, I have an easier time navigating those things. If I can't pronounce or say a word or even read a word, which is very possible, um, I don't buy it. It's just it's too big of a relationship for me. So, you know, I do tend to, um, which I don't think a lot of people in our audience understand. I do tend, when affordable, if I don't know my farmer, I do tend to reach for the green and white USDA organic label, which is not a perfect system, but we know just from that brand that there is less less harm in that brand, and so there are times that I will reach for that because it is so overwhelming for so many consumers, and um, including ourselves. You know, we're in the business, and we're like, huh, what do you do? You know, we're 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 going through lists and stuff, so. I just love the fact that you guys are out there doing this work that is saving lives every day. And I just hope that, you know, next year we're going to have more good news to report. We are seeing a change in policies that, you know, we can thank so many people like yourselves um, Mm -hmm. that are are turning the corner now. We're, We're seeing some good things happening. And I'm super grateful to both of you. So thanks for being here today. Thank you, Bill.
1: Thanks again, Bill, for having us. Much
0: oh, appreciated. The you. You're the best. We appreciate you a lot. And so thank you for your good work. And um, thanks for being here.